Well, I was just praying about what uh, what to share. We ended our series last week, and um, you know, I was just quickened by one of the portions of scriptures that really is relevant to us in the days we're living in, as, as a church, as as a people of God, and um, that was the Restoration Era and the the books of the Restoration Era and. We're going to look at, at a specific topic from one of those books. We won't look at, at them as a series, but you know, Ezra and Nehemiah, who are the main leaders in that time frame, you know, they led the people of God and they and they show us a picture of God building his people. God building and and, and them specifically was the natural. God you know, freed Israel from Babylon to come back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple and rebuild the city specifically the walls, you know, because in everything had been destroyed because of wickedness, right? And that kind of resonates with us. We see a lot being, you know, just brought down because of ungodliness. And we see our nation being affected because of ungodliness. But, you know, in the natural, Israel had to rebuild those natural things. But, you know, I think as a church, we realize there's things that we need to rebuild that need to be rebuilt in the spiritual realm, in the spiritual aspects of our country, turning back to the Lord. You know, Jerusalem was in ruins, but God's heart was to build. And that shows us his heart today is still in that same place. He wants to build, not just in the natural, though. He wants to build a people that are called by his name and that will do his will. And that's the cry of his heart. And so God is building the temple of his church so we can dwell in it. We can be a part of that. He's also called us to be a city set on a hill, a light that would shine. It wouldn't be hidden, but it would shine to all mankind. And so we realize there's some building that needs to take place. And and in some cases, some rebuilding of people who once walked with the Lord and don't, but God wants to draw them back. And so God is calling us, inviting us to be a part of the building process. Well, to experience it first, right? Can't really be a builder without experience. As much as we'd like to just watch some YouTube videos, it's kind of hard to do that and then go out and build a whole house. Right? <laughs> you need some experience. You need to start somewhere. And so God wants us to know what it's like to be built up according to his plan and his purpose. We have to align to that as living stones, a part of his temple. And there's many parts of the restoration books that can speak to us, you know, but I wanted to look at how they built, you know, the temple and the walls in troublous times. That has some meaning to us, troublous times. In fact, um, our friends, the, the Holmeses, the missionaries to the Philippines, were just sharing how God was speaking to them because they're, they're building in the natural. They, they have a, the Bible school there and the compound. And one of the things, final things, uh, or one of the things, they have plans for building different aspects. But they're, they're putting up walls around a new section of their, um, their compound, and they hadn't finished it yet. And the Lord spoke to them. And said um, they were praying, and the Lord spoke to them from Daniel nine twenty five. Uh, he said that the wall will be would be built in troublous times, and you know, sure enough, 
they finished building the wall in the early part of this year, right? And I, I can't remember what month, like March or around there. And, you know, there was some troublous times in the earth around the time they, they, they finished building that. But, uh, you know, we're continuing to see trouble. And, and so we kind of sense God wants to build his church as well in troublous times. And so the restoration of the saints that we can call it, the building up of, of the temple of the Lord also happens as we see it in the time of the restoration era, right? the building of the temple, the walls of Jerusalem, they faced opposition. Right? The enemy was not happy to see them build, to see God building his people. Right. And so the, you know, you get that famous picture of, of the Jews out building the wall and one hand was a trowel. Right? I don't know if people know what a trowel is these days, but it's, it's manual labor, right? It's getting the mortar out and filling in the, the, the joints and the cracks in the walls and so forth. In one hand, the trowel, in the other hand, the sword. And thankfully, we don't have to have that in the physical. But in the spirit, God wants to build and he wants us to fight in the spirit, to be spiritual warriors, to fight against the kingdoms and the principalities of this world that would oppose the kingdom of God being built up. And I thank God that it's the spiritual realm and not the natural. We don't have to get focused on that. Because if the, if the principalities and powers are brought down, the natural things will fall into place. You know, sometimes we can get so consumed with the things we see with our eyes going on, but really it's a spirit. It, there's a principality and power that's arising in the earth. And God's allowing certain things to take place to accomplish his purposes but yet that can't get in the way of his will being done. And so that's what we pray. Lord, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if there's a principality standing in the way of that, we can fight in the spirit as God is calling us to. You know, the good thing is, is that those principalities and powers, they know they're on the losing side. And we know we're on the winning side. And so we can pray accordingly. But we need to be built. We need to build and be a part of that. And so the thing I wanted to bring out from the restoration era is an element of that building process, um, because as they were building the walls, they also built 10 gates in the city. And uh, they probably didn't create them. They were recreating what was there. Some of the gates are referenced uh, in the Chronicles, uh, but they as they were building the walls, they built these gates and they were probably an imposing part of the city. They're large and fortified. In fact, I have a picture of one. I don't know if we can put that up there. That's a picture I took outside of what's called the Damascus Gate. And it looks like a castle, doesn't it? I mean, that, you know, it's large and fortified. And, you know, that's a kind of a representation of what the gates of Jerusalem would have looked like back then because that was their way of protection and fortification. And it was quite, you know, it's quite memorable to see a gate in the city and to walk through that. But, you know, gates were a, a place of, of protection, but also of leadership. The leaders would sit in the gates and the kings would sit there and have counsel and also make judgments in the gates. And under Nehemiah, Israel rebuilt the gates in the wall. Uh, the enemy wasn't very happy because it meant they would no longer have access 
They would no longer have power over Israel. And that's something that God is looking for in our lives. We can have areas in our lives that are nice and strong and thick, and we can focus on those, and they can be so powerful. But if there's a wide open gate, the enemy doesn't care about how strong we are in one area if we're weak in another, and he can walk right through us. And so God's calling us to build up the gates, to fortify our lives with the things of the Spirit of God so that the enemy would no longer have any opening or any power over us or over his church. So one of the gates I want to look at with you first is the the first one that was given in Nehemiah, and that was the sheep gate, the sheep gate. And it was thought that this was the gate that the sheep would come through as they would go on their way to the temple to be sacrifices you know, and offerings to the Lord in the temple. But that also has meaning for us because we are called to be the sheep of his pasture. We're the, we are the flock of the one who is called the good shepherd. And I'm grateful that's one of his names because he's good at being a shepherd even when we're, we're those stubborn and, you know, sheep that don't always respond well. If there's one thing that we know about sheep is they have a certain tendency. All right, Isaiah 53, verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. That's us in a summary, all right? Uh, and that's us of, of the nature we were born with, we could say. When that has access through our gates, that's the kind of little sheep we're like. We, we're a sheep that goes astray and does what we want. And, you know, I mean, we like to train our animals to respond and we say it. It's gratifying when you... You train up a dog and you call that dog's name and it comes right to you. But it's something else when you call that dog's name, come right here, and it just runs the other way. <laughs> that's, that's us like sheep when we're you know, unfortified and our gates are open and our nature can have its way. But God's calling us to be a sheep who hear his voice and respond to him and follow him. And so... You know, that's our nature is we are all like sheep who've gone astray. We have nothing to boast of in ourselves, do we? Because that's at the core who we are. But the good news is that we can submit to the good shepherd and he will change us and transform us to become the sheep of his pasture. As Peter said in 1 Peter 2.25, he kind of quotes this. He says, you were as sheep or past tense, you were as sheep going astray, but you are now returned to the shepherd and bishop of your souls. I like how Peter puts that. He's the shepherd of our soul. He cares for our soul. If we return, we come unto him and submit to him as our shepherd and him leading us. That, you know, that's really half the battle in building our gates, in finding safety and protection in God, it's only when we submit to him as the good shepherd. When we are in his flock and we're following him and we're, you know, he goes one way and we trot right along after him, there's safety in that. The lack of safety comes is when he goes one way and we trot the other way looking for, because the grass is always greener, right? Somewhere else. He leads us to good places, to still water, to fresh pastures, but only as we follow him. 
and submit to him. You know, there's a wonderful illustration of, of uh, one of the roles of the ancient shepherd uh, showing how he would bring his sheep in at night. And, and uh, we have a picture of that we can include, can show here. There's the, it's a picture of a shepherd and there's the, the sheep pen. It's made up of stacked stone um, and it had walls to protect them from the predators, but it's, they didn't have doors back then. So the shepherds would just pile up these rocks and surround the sheep, the, surround the sheep at night and they would have an opening. And they didn't put a door up there. What, what happened was the shepherd would sleep in that opening and the shepherd would be the door. And so there's Christ declaring that. The Israelites would have understood this concept when Christ said, I am the door. I am the shepherd that will care for you. But you see, that only works is when we follow him and we go in the place that he says, this is safe. Here's my will. You'll be safe in that. And we can know that because we're surrounded and protected and he's the door and nothing can get through him because he's the good shepherd. He's going to fight off any animal that's coming to get us because he's the door and he's protecting us from danger. He never slumbers nor sleeps. We can be snoozing in that sheep pen and he's the door and he never falls asleep. But you know, it says about the sheep that we can read. In fact, let's read these verses in John 10 and verse 14. One of the most important characteristics of the sheep. It says, I am the good shepherd and I, and I know, I am no, I know my sheep and I've known of mine. And then verse 27, it says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Here's one of the paramount truths of the day that we're living in and of the last days is that God's people must be sheep that hear his voice, that learn to hear it. And why it's so important is because Jesus said, he told us very clearly when his disciples said, Lord, what, what are the last days going to be like? What are this time of judgment going to be like? And the very first thing, and I, I know I always quote this about Matthew 24, but it's worth reading these words again and again. Matthew 24 and verse 4, when Jesus answered their question, he said, take heed that no one deceive you. Verse 5, for many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. You see, one of the principal things is the last days is deception. And why are people deceived? It's because there's so many people that do not know the voice of the good shepherd. Those who know his voice and, are, and have submitted to him as a sheep, they're not going to be deceived. Because even if they don't necessarily know everything that's going on, I mean, that's the thing. Jesus said we're to be we're to be like children when it comes to evil. We don't have to know all the inworkings and outworkings of the evil things that are happening. We just need to know the voice of God and to know when it's not the voice of God. And we say, I don't think that's God. I'm going this way because he's going. And that, you know, that's safety. That's protection. He'll lead us and guide us in that way. Jesus said that there's going to be many who claim to be Christ. You know, I mean, we've seen this literally. At, at one point, there was a pastor in Miami who was making the claim that he was the resurrected Christ. 
they're some of the brethren in Miami told us about him. Um, and you, you think that would be crazy, but many people followed him. I don't know what he's doing today, but you know, that, that will be the case and that has been the case in history. But I think the more common fulfillment of this is that many people will come proclaiming, I know the way of Christ, follow me. And they proclaim all of these, these wacky things, or maybe they don't seem wet. Maybe they, they're nice and shiny things. And they, they're really appealing things that they can say, but yet at its core, there's some deception there. The Lord says, those who are my sheep, they'll hear my voice and have that ability to discern. There's something not right. You know, the little lambs don't have that discernment because they don't recognize the voice of the good shepherd and they can be led astray. And so the key is not knowing the why. Sometimes we're like, uh, I want to know the why. Why? What's going on here? And I, you know, I'm not going to obey unless I understand the why, but that's, that's not a good thing to do. It can be hard to identify exactly why you shouldn't listen to a certain person or group or something like that. But what we can learn to do is recognize in our spirit, I don't know if this is quite the voice of the shepherd that I need to be following. You see, we must come to know his voice in this day and especially in the days to come. But you might ask, how do we come to know the voice of the Lord? How do we learn the voice of the Lord? Well, that's a separate subject altogether. In fact, you know, we've got some good books on that in our, in our fellowship that we can read. By the, our president wrote a good book about learning the voice of the Lord. But I think um, one thing we can understand is that the sheep, the thing about the sheep is they hear his voice and follow him. They obey the shepherd. And so one of the keys in coming to know the voice of the shepherd is in obeying. What we do know comes from him. Right? We obey what he has already spoken to us, and then that enables us to come to learn the voice of the shepherd more in obeying him. When we obey his commandments, his leading, his guiding. Jesus said this in John 14 and verse 21. He that has my commandments and keeps them and obeys them, he is the one that loves me. And he that loves me shall be loved to my father and I will love him. And here's the key. And I will manifest, I will reveal myself to him. Who's the one that God manifests and reveals himself to? It's the one that has his commandments, his word, and obeys it. You know, there's some things in the word of God that are pretty plain you know, there's one aspect of that. And there's, there's sometimes we don't need to seek a word from God because it's written down in the good book, right? It's here. It's written down. You know, you don't really need to seek a word from the Lord about whether you should lie or steal or, you know, that kind of thing. Because it's already there. It's written. And so there's certain things, you know, we just know we should avoid do, doing and certain things we know we need to do. And when we do those things, Jesus says, it is love. It is walking on the pathway of loving him. And one of the results of walking on that pathway is he will manifest himself to us. We'll come to know him and we'll know his voice. And of course, there's situations where maybe the way is not 
clear. You know, that this specific situation we're in is not clear from Scripture in the sense of like giving us the explicit answer. And so we cry out, God, show me the way to go. What should I do in this situation? And God, as we obey him in, in the ones we know, he helps us along each of those pathways, each of those forks in the road where we have to make that decision. He'll guide us and he'll lead us because he's, he's done it in the past and we have faith. We trust he'll do it again. You know, part of this thought of the, the sheep learning to, to hear his voice is knowing that one of the ultimate purposes of a sheep was to be a sacrifice. Little did those sheep know, walking through the sheep gate in, in Israel, that they were headed to their end on the altar, weren't they? You know, they didn't know it at that time. We know it. We're called to be the sheep of his pasture, but also, you know what? We are called to be a sacrifice, a living sacrifice set apart for Christ. Thankfully, that's in the spirit. It's not in the natural like those little sheep. But we are called to be those who give ourselves to the use of the good shepherd. As Paul said in Romans 12 and verse 1, I plead with you, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You know, giving our lives as a sacrifice for Christ and for others is it's, it's only our reasonable service. And why is that? Because Christ, Christ did it for us. He lived for us. He died for us. And so our calling is to be the sheep of his pasture who will become a sacrifice that's pleasing unto God. Because we want to come to know to the one, the one who was a sacrifice for us. There's one more thought I just want to bring out uh, concerning the sheep gate and the good shepherd. Now, something that, that Pastor Bailey said in his commentary on the Restoration Era, he, he compared the good shepherd with the parable of the good Samaritan. And you know that on the, the parable of the good Samaritan, he saw this man bruised and beaten and left for dead. And, and so he took him and it said he poured in the oil and the wine and bound up his wounds and and so forth. And and Pastor Bailey was saying, that's a picture of what God wants to do in our lives. He wants to pour in the oil and the wine and bind up what's broken and heal us and and, and empower us to do the same. You know, oil can speak of of the peace of God and of the Holy Spirit. He wants to bring us into a peace of trusting in him. You know, we need that in, in this day to be able to rest in his peace in the midst of the storm because it'll keep us. And wine speaks of joy. You know, there's a joy that God wants us to enter into, a joy of knowing him, experiencing his glory, showing forth his glory. Now, one of the things where joy kind of links back into this thought of Nehemiah, you know, it's Nehemiah had a certain profession Does anyone remember what his profession was? What did he do to the king? He was the cupbearer, right? If if the king was thirsty, Nehemiah, where's my cup? And he would bring that cup 
Now, the, the only thing back then that was safe to drink was wine because it had been processed and, you know, it was clean. So they drank a lot of wine. But, you know, wine rep- has a representation for us of joy. And so here was Nehemiah. His job was to be the bearer of a cup of joy to the king. And so that, that has a lot of meaning for us as New Testament saints, that we are to be bearers of the joy of the Lord. We can bring joy to the king of kings as we follow him and obey him and serve him and love him with all of our heart. It brings joy. Isn't that an a awesome thought? Little us. This, you know, we're just a collection of dust here on this little planet in the midst of a huge universe. And here we, in our lives, we have the ability to bring joy to the King of Kings, to the God of the universe. What an opportunity we have. And we want to take advantage of that. Lord, show me how I can bring joy to your heart through my life, through my obedience. You know, one of the things Nehemiah told us, or we read about him, is in Nehemiah 8 and verse 10. He was telling the people after they had turned back to the Lord, and there was a little repentance going on there, right? Because they, they, they had to get their lives right. And they were sorrowing. But Nehemiah told them, go your way and eat the fat and drink the sweet and send portions to them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto the Lord. Don't be sorry for the joy of the Lord is your strength. See, as Israel ordered their lives according to the ways of God and began to follow his voice and come to know him, there was one outcome. The joy of the Lord became their strength. And that's something we can look forward to as saints, that as we order our lives and obey his voice, the joy of the Lord will become our strength. And if there's something we need in this day, it's strength. Strength to continue, strength to stand against the evils you know, of this world, the wicked one. Joy really enables us to go through anything. We see that with Jesus, don't we? Hebrews 12 and verse 2, Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He, he did it all because of the joy set before him. Now, our ultimate joy is what happens in eternity, but yet there's a joy that we can have on earth of following God, of experiencing him, being used by him. He wants to give us that divine joy. Now, we, we realize joy is developed in certain aspects, certain environments. We actually sang this song this morning. Isaiah 61 and verse 3 talks about joy, doesn't it? It also talks about something else. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion and give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he would be glorified. You know, David said in Psalm 23, he anoints my head with oil. You know, God wants to anoint us with the oil of joy and to be like Nehemiah, bearers of the cup of joy to the king of kings and, and also to others because joy is infectious, right? When you're, 
when you got around someone happy and joyful, that kind of infects you. You want to be the same because that, you realize that that's a nice way to live, to have joy. But the thing is, is joy often comes through mourning or is developed, you could say. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. Often before joy can come, God has to deal with certain areas in our lives that, you know, sometimes there's areas that are preventing that joy from flowing. But once it's dealt with, the joy can be released. I just remember something I read about Thomas Kincaid. And if you've seen his paintings, there's one thing that's remarkable is how he uses light and how vibrant the light is in some of his paintings. Um, but I read that that he had a, a really difficult upbringing in his childhood. He lived in a single home. And when he got home from school, it's, he said that his, his house was always dark. And, and it was really a difficult time, a sad time for him. Um, but as he grew up and he met the Lord and, and he, he realized, you know, I want to depict what a house should be. And so he always paints these pictures of houses and cottages and they're just the light is, is glorious and magnificent. And he wanted that transformation. And sometimes God will wants to deal with us. It'll take us through times where he's dealing with those areas of darkness. Sometimes through sorrow. Or just through seasons we have to walk through to come to know him. Because he was also the man of sorrows. right? But that sorrow can birth joy. Psalm 30 and verse 5. His anger endures but a moment. His favor is life. Weeping endures for a night, but joy always comes in the morning as we follow him. If we're willing to go through the difficult things in life and rejoice in the goodness of God, we can know a joy that's better than anything this life has to offer. And that joy will enable us to endure to the end so that we can sit down in our appointed place in the kingdom of God. So in these troublous times, God wants to build up our gates. The first gate we, we looked at today, we'll look at some in later messages at other ones, but you know this, this thought of the sheep gate is that God wants to become the good shepherd for us to know him more as the good shepherd. You know, we know him at salvation as the good shepherd. He's the door to the sheepfold. But, you know, the, we come to know him as the lamb. And the lambs like to trot around and go wherever. But it's the sheep that he wants to, to work within us, that we're those mature sheep who know his voice. So that he's the good shepherd and bishop of our soul. And we can walk in him in safety in knowing his voice as we obey him and come to know him more. And that he has his peace and joy developed and poured into our lives that we can enter into that. And it will become our strength so that we can stand in the days to come. And Father, we just thank you. Thank you that you are our good shepherd and that you are you care for our soul. You're the shepherd and bishop of our soul. And we just thank you for that. Lord, we just submit ourselves to you. We pray that we might come to know you more. Lord, would you just speak your word to us and cause us to be those who would know and recognize your voice, especially in this day and this hour. Oh God, just lead us. Lord, work within us. 
Lord, cause us to hear you. Lord, even show us, Lord, if there's any area where we're disregarding your voice or we're failing to hear your voice, would you speak to us afresh and quicken us, Lord, that we could respond to you and walk in that way. Lead us, we ask, and guide us in your way. Oh, Lord, we just long, long to come to know you more as our good shepherd. Do that work that we would be those living sacrifices, pleasing and acceptable unto you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.